God, we just bring ourselves before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it has life, that it is applicable to us. I pray, God, that you would speak your truth into our hearts. And Lord, that we would hear your heart in this. That God, you would inspire us, you would draw us to yourself. And you would motivate us into action today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as part of our new regime, I get up at five o'clock each morning to feed Rebecca. And some mornings, that's it, and I stay up and, you know, perhaps mop the floors or something. But then if I'm feeling a bit tired, I'll sometimes go back to bed. And on Thursday morning, I went back to bed. It must have been about quarter past six. And uh, I, I, I had a meeting with Andy, which had had in my mind was 9.30. And then he'd text on Wednesday evening and said, can we do 10.30? I thought, I've got a bit of extra time. I'm going to set my alarm for 8.15 and have like a proper lion, you know. And it's that drifting in and out of sleep kind of, ah, oh, kind of feeling. So I thought, okay, set the alarm for 8.15. And uh, then I'll, I, just, I just need to make sure I get up at 8.15 or there's going to be trouble in terms of timing. And so I'm lying there, and the alarm went off, and I snoozed it, and I'm thinking, okay, that's 9.24, it's manageable. And it went off again, and I snoozed it, okay, that's 9.33, it's a little bit less manageable. And then it went off again, and I snoozed it, 9.42, it's pushing it. And it went off again, oh, 9.51, this is really bad, really bad. And then it went off. And I sat up in bed, and of course the alarm was on the other side of the room, because I'd left it on the bureau, so I went across, and it was 8.15, press stop, and I hadn't been drowsing the, the alarm at all. Uh, I'd been dreaming that I'd been drowsing the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> and I had some... <laughs> I was like, thank goodness for that. Uh, now, when it comes to weird dreams, uh, you won't really, perhaps any of you have ever had dreams as weird as Zechariah had in this book. Um, there's weird stuff, like there's flying scrolls, there's women flying around with the arms of storks, there's red horses and mottled horses going out and about around the earth doing this and that. Uh, there's people with measuring lines and, you know, uh, oil, pouring oil on the high priest and goodness knows what. There's some weird stuff in the book of Zechariah. And uh, we're not going to tackle any of that. <laughs> no, we are in the sense that we're going to pick out what the key themes are from the book. But we're not going to get caught up in some of the imagery that Zechariah had in his dreams. We've got 25 minutes and we want to hear what's God saying to us and what was God saying to the people uh, through the message of Zechariah. So to give a little bit of a, a background as to the timing of it all, it's towards the end of exile. So the, God's people had been exiled to Babylon. Uh, Babylon had fallen to the Persian Empire, which meant that the people of Israel were able to return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in ruins. So their previous, the city had been great. The temple that Solomon had built had been great. Um, it had all been destroyed. And God's people are returning to the land 
and uh, God has called Haggai and Zechariah and Zerubbabel. Uh, they were all involved in the very early stages of going back, of getting the temple, uh, the cornerstone of the temple built and, and the, the temple to, to begun to rebuild. And then later, more people went, Ezra went back a few years later and he was uh, there to establish the worship of God in the city. And then sometime later, Nehemiah uh, was, was uh, bringing God's people back to rebuild the walls and so that was the uh, so this is 520 BC and really if I was to summarize in a sentence what Zechariah is I think is a prophetic reminder of God's people's calling and identity a prophetic reminder of God's people's calling and identity Uh, So the structure of the book, we've got the introduction, this call to repentance right at the beginning. Then we've got several chapters of really wacky dreams. Uh, Then there's an invitation to restoration. And then there's a whole uh, section of chapters of poetry, of visions of the future, uh, including an incredible messianic prophecy about who uh, the coming of the Messiah, coming of Jesus, and, and also some stuff around the second coming of Jesus. So that's the structure of the book. Uh, and I think what we'll cover today is really is three key messages that come up from the book. Message, messages that Zechariah was bringing to the people, which if obeyed, will bring around the restoration of God's presence and of God's blessing among his people. And the, the three things, uh, helpfully, begin with R. So that might help you to remember them. Oh, that's another R. Uh, the first one being return to the Lord. The second one being roll up your sleeves and rebuild the temple. There's another two R's, I suppose. And the third one being rely on the Spirit of God. So they're the three things. We're going to just spend a few minutes looking at those and, and, and then ask God, well, what are you saying to us in relation to that? So the first one, return to the Lord. First and foremost, the call of Zechariah to the people is, 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 is a matter of the heart. Now, core to this whole series that we've been doing on the whatever they call the minor prophets, we have used the strap line, love justice, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And uh, right in the heart of the book of Zechariah, in the middle chapter, there's this couple of verses. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. The love, the justice, the mercy, the compassion of God is right at the heart of the message of Zechariah. And God was angry with his people, essentially, because they'd ignored the prophets through the years. We've got loads of prophetic words of Jeremiah and different ones who had prophesied. You need to return to the Lord. You need to keep your focus on him. You need to prioritize him and the worship of him in all parts of your lives or disaster will strike. 
Jeremiah even prophesied that there would be an exile, and indeed there was. Their rebellion, their ignoring the prophetic word of the Lord had led them into exile in the first place because he's a jealous God. And not because he's like, I mean, we use, there's a negative connotation to the word jealousy, isn't there really? It's about selfishness, you know, whereas actually the, the jealousy of God is that he really wants the hearts of his people. He really wants the devotion of his people, the commitment of his people, the relationship with his people. He desires it. He longs for it. And so that's why the book opens. And let's go to Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The very opening verses of the book, it says, In November of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave me this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah and the grandson of Iddo. I think we should think of the name Iddo, actually, if we ever have a boy. <laughs> it's quite a cool name, really. Iddo. <laughs> she wouldn't let me have Jezebel but <laughs> I the Lord was very angry with your ancestors therefore say to the people this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of heaven's armies don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, turn from your evil ways and stop your evil practices. Return to me. And that's a pattern that we see all through the Old Testament, wasn't it? That God's people walking with him and then not walking with him, walking with him and then not walking with him. Seasons when they couldn't really be bothered. Seasons when other things seemed more appealing, seemed more important to spend their time or their money or their devotion on other than God and his work and his house and his worship. And um, God is a jealous God who wants his people to return to him. The second thing, roll up your sleeves and rebuild the temple. So a bit further down in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is what the Lord says, I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Say this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, the towns of Israel will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. The temple will be rebuilt, and then prosperity will be returned to the city. Now, there's no question about it. The call that Zechariah was putting out there and inspiring and leading and encouraging the people along with Zerubbabel to get back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple, to get to work, would have meant people putting the worship of God first, putting the house of God first. It would have meant a whole lot of Blood, sweat, and tears. 
It would mean hard work. It would mean sacrifice. It would mean laying down of their own agendas. The reality is, for, for a lot of these people, the priority would have been rebuilding the temple before they'd built their own houses. And then prosperity would return to the city. Putting the house of God, the rebuilding of the temple, as the number one priority before anything else, before the walls were rebuilt, before the buildings, before the houses, before the shops, before any of that, rebuild the temple, and then the city will be rebuilt around that. So, roll your sleeves up and rebuild the temple. And then the third is to rely on the Spirit. It's a really famous uh, verse that we have, I've heard quoted many times, but it's, it's just, it just says, it's not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And, you know, Zerubbabel had come back. He was a leader, a political and a, a religious leader who had had this zeal to return to Jerusalem and he'd laid the cornerstone of the temple. And that verse was basically speaking of Zerubbabel, saying what he did when he planted that, laid that cornerstone, he did it through the power and through the calling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And because he's devoted to rebuilding the temple, because he's dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit, that will be completed. A recognition that although, yeah, there would indeed be hard work, it was God's Spirit that makes stuff happen. So yeah, there would be practical things that the people would need to do. There'd be the rolling up of sleeves, there'd be digging, there'd be actual physical building. That it was a work of God's spirit that would cause it all to come about in the end. And God's call to do this, to return to him, to roll their sleeves up and rebuild, to rely on his spirit... It's because what's on God's heart is restoration, prosperity for his people, peace for his people, justice, mercy, cleansing. And then later in the book, you hear, read bits about you know, kids playing in the street and old people sitting, leaning on their canes, chatting with their friends and you know, having relationship together in a safe place. A beautiful image of the city having been rebuilt and God's people living in peace and prosperity and God's blessing. And then let's just read that messianic prophecy. Chapter 9, verses 9 to 17. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. 
His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River, Euphrates River until the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to a place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Judah is my bow and Israel is my arrow. Jerusalem is my sword and like a warrior I will brandish it against the Greeks. The Lord will appear above his people. His arrows will fly like lightning. The sovereign Lord will shout, sound ram's horn and attack like a whirlwind from the southern desert. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people and they will defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. They will shout in battle as though drunk with wine. They will be filled with blood like a bowl, drenched with the blood like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord God will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep and they will sprinkle his land Uh, sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. This call and a reminder that you are the people of God and through you, the Messiah is going to come who's going to bring restoration, who's going to bring freedom, and who's going to bring a new covenant that's going to transform the world. And you, as God's people, this is Zechariah's message, get to be part of what God is doing in the earth. And there's a general message in the book that God's plan would be fulfilled. God's people would be made strong again. God's kingdom would be established. There's no question about that. But the question that's left a bit open in the book is this. Will it be you and will it be now? God's heart is restoration, blessing, prosperity, cleansing, freedom for his people. God's desire is to establish a new covenant and to build his kingdom and to, and to create his church through the work of Christ. God's plan would be fulfilled. It would be made strong again and the kingdom would come. But listen, is it going to be you and is it going to be now? And there was opposition There was opposition and there was apathy to to Zechariah's call to the people to rebuild. God's call to the people to return to God and to, to live their lives for him and with him. Apathy, perhaps opposition because there was a desire to rebuild the temple before people had even rebuilt their own homes. A sense of priority and not knowing what they really wanted to do with their time and with their money and their resources. There was also nostalgia. Now, not many of them, because they'd been in, in, in exile for 70 years, but you know, they would, some of them who would have been young may well have seen the original temple that Solomon had built, built with grand materials and gold, and it was enormous and beautiful. But certainly everyone would have seen pictures 
and had descriptions of what that original temple looked like and what the original city looked like and how astounding it was, how beautiful. So there was, there was a sense of, well, I don't know if I can be bothered because this is never going to be like that was. This seems like a whole lot of hard work. But you see, God's invitation was to build his house now. The past wasn't available to them. The future wasn't necessarily a guarantee. What God was inviting them to do was to get involved in what he was doing now in Jerusalem. You may not have the same gold and all the rest of it that Solomon had when he built the temple, but my heart is that the temple, that the the place, the center of worship is rebuilt in the center of Jerusalem. These are the people who you have. These are the materials that you have. This is the plot of land that you have. Now roll up your sleeves and get on with doing what is in front of you with the materials, with the time, with the energy, with the people who you have got. Get on with doing what I've called you to do. And then in 6.15. People will come from distant lands to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And when this happens, you will know that my messages have been from the Lord of heaven's armies. This is Zechariah speaking in first person. It says, all of this will happen if... You carefully obey what the Lord your God says. I um, have been thinking the last couple of weeks because I read in a book a couple of week, a couple of Mondays ago a, a quote by Pete Gregg. Uh, he just said, "I quite simple." I think I mentioned it last Sunday morning, actually. He said, I've met enough cantankerous old Christians to know that sanctification is not a foregone conclusion. Our becoming like Christ is not inevitable on this earth. Our growth into him, the transformation of our character, that comes about through choices that we make through things that we do with our time, through the way that we engage with God in devotion and worship, the way that we engage with the church community, the way that we roll up our sleeves in setting our attention to building God's kingdom. All of those things contribute to our sanctification, our becoming like Christ. Worshipping him in the quiet place. All of that. And as we just reflect on what Zechariah's message was to the people in a specific place, in a specific time, with a very specific set of circumstances around them, there are parallels and there are things that we can draw from that message. 
I just ask the question, are we willing to return to God now? Are there areas of our lives where ungodly practices, thinking, behavior, lifestyle stuff have crept in? And where we may be hearing God say, I want you back. I want your heart. I want your mind. I want your behavior. I want your attention. I want you to lay down your stuff and come back to me. Let us return to the Lord. Are we willing to roll up our sleeves? What are the mechanisms through which he can build his kingdom through us. It may not be what it once was. We might have had different experiences in our lifetime. You know, I've been involved in some amazing stuff in different parts of the world and think, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to be doing that and, and having this happen? You know, miracles happening left, right and centre. And, and just, you know, I, I, I don't know what God wants to do through us now. We have materials in our hands. We have opportunities and ways in which we can serve, in which we can get involved in seeing God bring transformation and hope and help to those around us. And are we willing to rely on the Spirit of God now? tangible sense of God's presence among us actually surrendering to his work in our lives we could get a new logo couldn't we or we could get blue mountain coffee for coffee time or give out bacon rolls when people arrive it all sounds lovely stuff It's got very little to do with the quality of our coffee or even the time of our services. When God shows up and does his work through the power of his Holy Spirit, you won't be able to keep people away. And God, we just say that we desire you. We recognize that it is not through clever slogans. It's not through musicianship or through multimedia. It's not the quality of our coffee. It's not the colour of the carpet or the comfortability of the chairs. I saw a picture this week of a bunch of people in a church. I forget exactly where it was, but they were knee-deep in water and there were about a 1,000 people gathered to worship God. 
God, would you captivate our hearts with a desire for you? Captivate our hearts with a passion for your kingdom, a passion for your house, and a desire to be part of what you are doing in Newbury and Thatcham. What you're doing, Lord, to restore worship in the heart of this nation, to restore worship in the hearts of our community. We recognize, God, that Newbury and Thatcham are essentially godless. You are not at the center of people's attention in Newbury and Thatcham. You're not at the center of how they live their lives. You're not, the, you're not spoken of in the streets of Newbury in worship and adoration. And that is your desire, that you would be at the centre of this place, that you would be at work in this place. And you, God, you want us to be a part of what you are doing in our towns and in our nation. That, God, you would turn the hearts of people back to yourself. And that begins in the house of God. That begins with us. That we, God, would bring ourselves before you. Help us, God, to offer our hearts to you completely. Help us, God, to recognise if there is any opposition or apathy and things that are holding us back from what you want to do among us. Help us to lay those things down. And I pray, God, that you would help us that the kingdom of God would be at the top of our agenda, the top of our priority. Now, Lord, now. We can't live 15 years ago and we don't know where we'll be in 15 years from now. But right now, we are alive and we are called to be your people. We are called to live for you, to prioritise you, to, to build your kingdom. Now, and I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, you would wake us up as your church. To recognise that our growth in you, our sanctification and the, the, the growth of your kingdom through our lives is not a foregone conclusion. That God we would step up and we would step out into all that you have for us. To get serious about our relationship with you and serious about our responsibility in the world. Final couple of verses and then we'll, we'll pray. Very end of Hebrews chapter 11. So the chapter has been about all sorts of heroes of faith. People who've done incredible things for God. And it says all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects 
our faith. And God, we just pray that you would, you'd be speaking to us as a church family, but you'd be speaking to us as individuals. Show us, God, if there are areas in our lives where we need to return to you. We need to lay down, where we need to, to quit doing certain things or thinking in certain ways, looking at certain stuff. Whatever it is, God, that we would turn from it and we would turn to you wholeheartedly. Show us, God, how you would have us roll up our sleeves in the building of your kingdom. What that looks like in our individual lives and our corporate lives together. That we would find joy in the materials, in the people, in the situation that we find ourselves in. With not wanting to be somewhere else or somewhere else. But that God we would celebrate and find joy and a sense of passion in where we are and what we have right in front of us. That God we would step out in building your house in this time and in this place. And Father, that we would completely rely on the work of your spirit. It is you, Lord, who brings uh, change. It's you who mends hearts. It's you who brings about freedom. And we want to be surrendered to the work of your spirit, Lord. If you want prayer for anything, if you want to, we're talking about the returning to God and you feel the stuff you want to lay down before God, the space here, if you want to just come and kneel and pray and Bring yourselves before God. Offer yourself to God afresh. Just feel free to do that as we worship. Thank you.